Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our wonderful study, the world religions, cults, and the eye cold. Number 13, Bobby. Charismatic chaos. chaos. Give her Bobby. He's back here. It's kind of weird with you. We're going to have to get a mannequin or something uh, and record your voice. Charismatic chaos. Anyway, never mind. Well, let's move on. Uh, the untold history of the charismatic movement is what we're dealing with. And uh, we've already seen by way of disclaimer, not saying everybody that goes to a charismatic church or who is charismatic is involved in the occult. But there are some strange things going on, and it's leading to some dangerous behavior and false teachings, so we need to deal with it. We've already seen by way of recap that the movement is nothing new. This is old-fashioned Montanism that the early church had to deal with and put down and declared as heresy. We also saw that their version of tongues is really not even the biblical version. It's it's gibberish. Gibberish is also nothing new. Uh, it's also something that is done in the cults, the mystery religions, and we'll see again even tonight with Hinduism, things of that nature as well. Then we begin to deal with the issue of the spiritual gifts, because that's one of the big major differences between what we would say is a charismatic church and a non-charismatic church. Charismatic churches would say all the gifts, every single one, is in function for today. You and I, the, the Protestant evangelical Christian, would say, no, that's not true. So we began to take a look at the gifts, and we saw, when do we get the gifts? At salvation. Then we saw who gets who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives them. So you could take a class, jump up and down, go to somebody's seminar, have them lay hands on you. Ain't gonna make a hill of beans difference, folks. The Spirit of God gives them as He wills. The scripture is very clear. How do you know what gifts you got? You gotta experiment, you gotta try out. Some are self-evident, some need to be equipped. We saw there, and then we began saying, Well, what are the gifts? And we saw there's two categories of gifts. You got those that are in function for today, i.e. the yes. Those that are not in function for today, i.e. no. And we, we said that these are not in function for today because we are just simply stubborn, pig-headed, uh, spiritually immature, and we're resisting the Spirit of God in the last days. No, it's based on the context what the Scripture has to say. Basically, it's the argument between what is called uh, temporary gifts and t- gifts that are still in function today. We saw the ones that are in function today, biblically, contextually, was the gift of prophecy, number one. By the way, again, prophecy not meaning you're declaring something new. We don't need anything new. We have everything we need from God right here. The biblical term that's actually used there in the original language is you're foretelling that which God has already told. So this is, again, it's kind of like a double thing they missed there. We saw that still in function today, foretelling God's revelation, i.e. the Bible, serving or the gift of helps, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership slash administration, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. We need all those still today. That's why they're still in function today. However, what is not in function today is healing, miracles, and discernment. Er, Let me stop right there. Healing, God doesn't heal. That's not at all what we were saying. Healing, the gift of healing was 100% of the time. Same thing with miracles, raising people from the dead. 100% of the time when the apostles laid hands on somebody, didn't matter what the ailment was, it wasn't just a headache or a sore back. Uh, major healing was done 100% perfect every single time. That's not in function today. Can God heal? Can he do miracles? Of course, we're not saying that. We're saying that that gift that is specifically upon a person, okay, to heal every single time, is not in function today. That left with the apostles. And because that was part of the gifts that were given, were given to validate the message that we're transferring from the Old Testament to the New Testament, etc., etc. And discernment, we don't need the specific gift of discernment because where do we discern today? Right here, right? I don't need to go, well, I can't tell you if that's true or not. I got to wait for that person to show up with the gift of discernment. No. Now, they needed that back then because they didn't have all this written down for them, did they? We need it today. Or we don't need it today because we got it today. We got the Bible. So every Christian has the ability to discern if you stick to the Word of God. Then we left off last time with the issue of tongues, literally glossolia, languages. As we saw, the tongues were always a known language. It was never, ever gibberish. 
Okay, and of course, the interpretation of that. Again, those went with the apostolic age, and we saw that uh, clearly uh, in the biblical context there. We also saw that the gift of languages, tongues, if you will, in the interpretation was a sign gift. It was a sign gift to unbelievers, i.e. the Jewish people. Okay, that the gospel was going to all, not just the Jewish people. That's already been done, reiterated, recorded for us in the New Testament. We don't need that today. We also saw that it's never again gibberish. The whole issue we're talking about here with tongues, by and large, is not even the biblical one. Even if you want to say, continue today, and that's not what's being done. But then we also saw, they want to say, well, the reason why you can't understand what I'm talking about is because they said that it's a private prayer language. We saw that was not true. It's a secret code language. that, the, uh, that the, So the devil can't hear my prayers. We saw that's not true. They say, well, no, it's a heavenly language, which, again, is a misappropriation of Paul's term about the language of angels. But, by the way, when angels speak to people, it's what? In a known language, okay, as well. And it's not for self-edification. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. All the gifts are for what? Are they for you? Are they for yourself? Are they just, No, it's for the edification of the church. So even when they were in function correctly, biblically, it was always not for yourself. It was for the church. Whew, we got there. Now, now, let's move on to the fifth thing we're going to talk about. All right. We dealt with the, the little disclaimer there. We dealt with the movement. We dealt with the gibberish. We dealt with the spiritual gifts for many, 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 many weeks. Okay, now we're going to deal with what I call the aberrant behavior. Okay, now these are the things that basically the charismatic community would have you and I believe that is something biblical when it's not. And they would say that this is something that we're missing out on. If we want to be true, mature Christians, we need to join them in this practice. Okay, and the first aberrant behavior that they promote that they say we need to be involved in is something called slain in the spirit. How many of you guys have heard that before? Okay, slain in the spirit. Now, uh, for those of you who aren't sure, let me give you the definition. Slain in the spirit, or what's also called slain in the spirit, is the term that's used by Pentecostal and charismatic churches to describe a form of prostration in which the individual falls to the floor, and at such point they experience, quote, religious ecstasy. Uh, and they attribute this power supposedly by that it's being done by the Holy Spirit. Sent, hence, you fall backwards, slain in the Spirit. Uh, being slain in the Spirit, they say, happens and apparently can only happen when a so-called minister lays hands on someone and that person collapses to the, the floor, again, supposedly by the Spirit of God. Now, this can also only be done, apparently, uh, at specific places like at a church, or certainly healing crusades. That's really big. We'll see that in a second, right? Uh, And you are invited to come to the front of the church service, you know, like an altar call or some conference center, to receive prayer from a so-called minister or a team of ministers, whereupon which they lay hands on you, so it goes, or they touch you with that anointing oil. Boy, it's over when that happens. Okay, whatever. Anyway, and then what happens is all of a sudden, bang, a person falls back, usually on their backs, okay? And in most cases, their fall is broken by ushers, or what, this is their term, catchers. Catchers. You've got to have a catcher at hand. Otherwise, you're going to fall and bust your head open, right? Now, once fallen, a person may lay on the floor, face up with eyes closed for several seconds, many minutes, or even several hours. Slain in the spirit, okay? Now, again, it's one thing if you want to promote that, but let's take a look at what they say you and I 
are resisting in these last days. We're resisting the Spirit of God. This is how we're going to become mature, mighty Christians, making a difference for Jesus in the last days. This is what you could experience. Slaying the Spirit. You guys ready? Here's just one example. Let's take a look. You may not understand this. I don't either. I don't either. But when the Lord talks to me, I obey Him. It's just that simple. There's nothing more to it. Take the fresh breath of the Spirit! See what you guys are missing? I mean, man, if you could just do that, you become a mature Christian, you're going to make a major impact for Jesus in the last days. And did you see there was no slain involved? I think we should change the term. How about you call it punch in the head spirit, okay? Or shove you in the spirit, or smack you up. Did you see that? There was nothing supernatural going on there. And also, now you guys know why. I don't wear a jacket while I preach. I'm saying, I'm saying. I want you guys to stay awake. That's just crazy. Can you believe that? Okay, that's what we are saying. We are immature is the impression. We are missing out. We don't know what it, because we're not doing that. All right. Now, let's take a look biblically, because that's what we're supposed to do, at this phrase, in the spirit. Okay, because you see a lot of, in the charismatic community, that becomes the excuse, the panacea term to explain a lot of this aberrant behavior. Well, you don't understand because it was in the spirit. And that's what this is. It's not just slain or punch, whatever you want to call it. It was in the spirit. And somehow that makes it okay. 
So let's take a look at that term in the spirit. Is that what the Bible is promoting? Just shoving people and somehow they're falling backwards and they're wiggling and they're passing out and unconscious? I don't think so. Open your Bibles to Revelation is our first text. Revelation chapter 1. Okay, if you find the dictionary, what do you do? Hang your left, right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Of course, this is the apostle John, and he's explaining how he got this revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And how did it happen? When did it happen? What were the circumstances that he was inspired of God to write down this fantastic book for us called the book of Revelation, okay? Let's take a look. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, right? Here's what he says, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, which would be a Sunday... I was what? I was falling backwards. No, I went to this conference and this guy waved his jacket at me and I just fell unconscious. No, I was wiggling on the floor. No, it does say in the spirit, but is that obviously what that phrase means? No, not even close, right? I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And that's what he did, still being conscious, and he wrote it down for us. And we just got to read it after 2,000 years. Notice there's no passing out. There's no falling backwards. There's no relying on something. Oh, by the way, remember he says, receive not only the spirit. Whoa, 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 whoa. When do we get the spirit of God? At salvation. He said, receive a fresh anointing. Woo-hoo. We have the anointing. We have the Holy Spirit. John is also very clear about that as well. So that's just kind of another false uh, teaching with that verbiage there. But anyway, so is that what John's doing? Not at all. Let's take a look at another passage dealing with in the Spirit. This is from Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Speaking of the ministry of John the Baptist, says this, And he will go before the Lord in the Spirit. Okay, and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteous uh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So is that what John the Baptist did? That's how he received his power. What he did is when people came to him is he just he he fell backwards on the floor. He started wiggling around. Now, when he came to him, he says, wait a second, guys, I, I can't I'm not in the spirit yet. I need to wait for this special person to have this special anointing to come over here to shove me on the ground. And then I can get back up and I got this amazing power and miracles are going to take place. And no, that's not at all what it's talking about there. Let me give you another one. Ephesians six, verse uh, uh, chapter six, verse 18 and pray in the spirit. Okay, on all occasions, with all kind of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert, notice not unconscious, and always keep on praying for all the saints. So when we want to intercede for our brothers and sisters in Christ, is that what we do? We just fall backwards, we're unconscious. Well, if you're unconscious, how are you going to pray? Right? Are you wiggling around? Or are you waiting for somebody to show up to shove you backwards? Folks, I, 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 maybe this sounds harsh, but listen, I'm telling you, we have to deal with this. What, is, is this biblical? What is going on here? Right? That's not at all what he's talking about. Colossians 1, 7 through 8. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So is that how we demonstrate love for each other? Bobby's so good to see you. Now, if you actually did that, as that's supposed to be your way to love your brother or sister in Christ, how many brothers and sisters in Christ would you have? You'd be very lonely. 
<laughs> no, but the, no. So what is he talking about here? What's the sphere? It means in the spirit means in the sphere of or under the control of the spirit, right? With your faculties functioning, right? The spirit is empowering you to love one another. The spirit is empowering you and directing with your prayers as well. The spirit is helping you to write down this wonderful book for us, etc. The spirit is empowering you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It has nothing to do with falling backwards, wriggling around, all that stuff. Okay. Now, when the Bible talks about in the spirit, it's always talking about something that you will grow up in maturity. Because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, yes, he at the moment of salvation, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. He's our deposit guaranteeing our salvation, right? But he's called the Holy Spirit to what? To begin that work of maturity so we produce by the Spirit that his holiness is produced in us, that we grow up. God is more concerned with making us look, act, behave, and speak via the Spirit to look more like Christ than just wriggling around the floor. And that's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. Let's take a look at that passage okay, as well. What is so important about this phrase, in the Spirit? right? And what happens when you do it biblically? right? Galatians, let's take a look there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Right, Verse 16, Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, so I say what? Live by the Spirit. So what's he talking about there? How do you live by the Spirit? It was what those people were doing. Were they living by the Spirit? Is that what Paul's talking about? No, that'd be ridiculous. Right? So I say live by the Spirit, and what's the benefit? And you'll have this amazing experience. You're going to pass out for a good two hours. Right? And hopefully there's a catcher there who has an anointing so that you don't hit your head on the ground, because that's going to hurt. Okay, and then after you wake up, then that's how you're going to mature. No, not at all. He says, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, see, this is why I'm belaboring this, because when you get this phrase in the spirit correctly, this is good stuff. Biblically, it leads to maturity. I'm not to poke somebody in the eye, but this phrase is being abused. And it leads to no maturity. Those people that are growing up in Christ when that's going on. There's no edification going on there at least for the church, right? But let's continue on. He says, then you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. Now, again, how do you know when somebody is not in the spirit? That's what Paul's saying. Here's, and that's not every sin. He's just giving you, here's a, a wide swath. When somebody is not in the spirit, that's what they look, act, and behave like. You don't want that. So to counter that, praise God, we're not just indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, sealed for our day of redemption. Praise God, we're his temple. But if we walk and live and keep in step with the spirit, i.e. we're in the spirit at all times, you won't do that. Now, isn't that a valuable truth? 
And it's sad because it's being ripped off and twisted. And that's what he says. He says, first of all, I'll give you a warning. I I tell you that those who live like this, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, when you walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. Now, again, as we saw before, that term keep in step is a military term. It means basically when when the Spirit says this, when it takes a step, you take a step right behind. And you're just walking in tandem. It's like soldiers marching along, okay, is what he's talking about. He says, so when you do that, you experience the fruit of the Spirit. How many guys would like more of this in your walk with Jesus Christ tonight? Is what is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody want that? Yeah, praise God, sign me up. Well, guess what? The good news is you can have it if you walk, live, keep in step with the Spirit, i.e. live every day in the realm of the, in the Spirit. Biblically, you get this phrase, it's fantastic. What a fantastic, beautiful truth. And it got turned into that. And then it got turned into that. And then you and I are looked down upon like, oh, you guys just oh, feel sorry for you. You're not experiencing the movement of the Spirit in the last day. It's sad. It's very sad, okay, is what's going on there. Again, the Spirit of God is more concerned about producing holiness than falling on the ground, right? So is it biblical? Slaying the Spirit. No, not at all. Now, they try to justify it a couple different ways, biblically. Let me give you the first one, 2 Chronicles 5.14. 2 Chronicles 5.14 simply says, The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand, key word there, the priest could not stand okay, to minister because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Now, contextually, what's going on in this passage is King Solomon and the priests of Israel are dedicating the newly built Jewish temple in Jerusalem, okay? The Ark of the Covenant is being brought into the temple for the first time. There's music, there's loud singing, they're praising God, and then something spectacular happens. The glory of God comes in, right? And it says there the, the ministers can't stand because of that. Well, they say, well, there you have it. That's slaying the Spirit. Because they can't stand. If they can't stand, then that means apparently they fell backwards. And they're passed out. No, that is a complete abuse of not only the context, but even that word in the Hebrew. The word in the Hebrew means to main, not to maintain an erect posture. That's not even what it's talking about. It means to take one's place. You look at different translation, it means could not perform their service or could not carry out their duties, or were unable to complete their duties. The idea is that the priests were prevented from taking their positions in the temple. Not that they were knocked down flat. It's just you ain't going in there. You ain't going to do your service. That's it. That's what it's talking about. has nothing to do with falling down backwards. Now, another one, believe it or not, if you continue in the book of Revelation chapter 1, John, after he got the vision, he turns around. We left off there with the trumpet. You look at verse 17, he, see, whoo, he sees Jesus, and he says, I fell as though one was dead. Well, there it was. He was slain the Spirit. Well, that's, that's what they try to justify. Uh, not at all. Uh, or Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about him falling on his face, or Daniel, etc. No. Okay? Uh, first of all, notice that those instances, they're falling on their face, not going backwards. Okay? So that's kind of interesting. You try to use that to justify Okay, but it's not. But let me give you a quick study. Uh, we dealt with this in our study, the holiness of God. How many of you guys remember that? You got that memorized by now? Yeah, praise God. We're talking about holiness, so don't lie, because that would be unholy. 
Just a test. Let's move on. But anyway, in that study, we dealt with what happens biblically. What do we see biblically? Key word there, biblically. That's what's defining truth for us. The Bible, what a concept. Right? But what happens biblically when people actually encounter the actual Spirit of God, the holy presence of God? Right? Well, let's take a look. Right? First one is the Israelites. You see this in Exodus 20. Verse 18 through 19, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear, right? They stood at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will not listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. That's the presence of God, the real presence of God. And what was the response of the Israelites there? They said, hey, God, big old buddy, old pal of mine. You're here for me. And you know what? You exist to give me an experience. All right? And that's what I want you to do. I'll tell you what, God. Uh, could you have Moses come over here and put his hand on me and make me wiggle and fall down and pass out for a couple hours so that I could grow strong in my walk with you, Lord Jehovah? Are you kidding me? These people, what they say? They were shaking in utter terror at the voice of God saying, please, please, please don't let God even speak to us. We're going to die. This is not, I think, a bunch of chicanery. And I think we're going to see some occult stuff too. But how far do you push that? And it is a complete blasphemy to say that that's the presence of God and that's all that it exists for. It's sad. Now, the second one that we see is Samson's parents. Right? You see this in Judges chapter 13, 20-22. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame, and seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces on the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, and they obviously believe this is a pre-incarnation of Jesus. But anyway, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. Listen, we are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. So again, what was their response? God shows up, and they say, oh, I just can't take it anymore. They fall back and start wriggling. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Absolutely. They, they crumble to the ground, scream, oh, no, oh, no, we have seen God. We're doomed to die. That's a little bit different than what's being promoted today. Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. He had an encounter. Right, Verse 7 through 9, I, Daniel, was the only one to, uh, who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Now, this isn't even God. This is just an angel of God. A holy angel of God. One holy angel of God. Truly showing up on the scene. And the great mighty prophet, Daniel, what was his response? Dude, he did a face plan. He was just literally shaking. Ah! And fell on his face. That's not what's going on today. Let me give you another one. For, uh, Job. Job. Job started complaining about his life. He started asking God, why? How come? Why? We never do that, do we? Remember, holiness, lying, don't do it. Job 42, 3, 5 through 6. So he's starting to why, why God, how come? He's starting to crack, if you will, after all this time. And God shows up. God gives him an attitude adjustment. And listen to what God says to Job. He says, you ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? God's speaking to Job. 
Okay, or, or Job speaking back to God after God corrected him. He said, surely I spoke of things, Job saying to God, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know, to know my Ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I want, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. No, I know what happened here with Job. See, I think we, 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 we're, we, there's a new revelation that's going on with this passage. I don't know if you guys realize this. But really, what happened was Job was fortunate enough to attend this special conference. And there's this Hebrew speaker guy going around, right? And he had this special anointing. Now, granted, Job had to cough up some serious bucks to even attend, but it was worth it in the end because he got to be one of the chosen ones to go forward, right? This guy, uh, of course, they didn't have jackets back then. He waved his cloak, and, and, and Job passed out, right? He was dealing with the very presence of God, and, 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 and then he, he felt this electric shock. And then Job, he was, his, all his suffering went away. Yes, I'm being very facetious, hopefully, as you know. To make a point. But wouldn't that be ridiculous to implant that on that text? What's going on here? Job, he sees God. He heard about God, but now he's dealing with God. And what was his response? I despise myself. To be in the actual presence of a holy and righteous God, I repent and dust and It'll cause you to shut your mouth. Wow. That's not being done. One more, Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 3, 4, and 5. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and his train of his robe filled the temple. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. He wasn't talking about riding horses. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, Isaiah says, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So what was his response? The great mighty prophet Isaiah. He's encountering God. Was it like the charismatic response today? Hey, God! Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay some money. I'm going to go to this special place. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to music, jump up and down, do whatever i got to do. Ah, a good 45 minutes, an hour, you know, what have you. You know, if I'm fortunate enough, I get into an altered state of consciousness. We'll get into that next week, Lord one. Right? And then I'm going to go forward. And you know what, God? I tell you what. You need to show me your presence. You need to take me into your presence. Right? So that I can have goosebumps on top of my goosebumps and, whoa, leave here telling people how awesome it was. Was that Isaiah's response? Instantly, it's like, oh, whoa. In front of a holy, righteous God. And it's been turned into that now. Oh, and don't forget, bring your money. That's sad. That is sad. Oh, can I tell you something? The world laughs at that. The non-Christian is yucking it up. But guess who gets lumped in with it? Us. Oh, you're one of those people. No, I'm not. You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I saw it. And then try to explain the difference between what's a Christian and charismatic. We get lumped into it. Now, if you want to get down to it, slain, i.e. falling backwards, when you do see that in the Scripture, it's typically because you're dealing with somebody that's not even saved, and you're dealing with judgment of God. Want to get down to that? Let me give you a couple passages. John 18, 4-6. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is when the soldiers, who were not saved... 
right, are coming to get Jesus. And what do we see there? Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth replied, I am he. Jesus said, and uh, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Is that a positive thing? Is that something you want to emulate? Is that something that was wonderful? No. Let me give you an Old Testament one. Uh, 1 Samuel 4.18, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli. Now, if you know Eli, right, you can go back and read the account. Eli was not a good high priest at that time uh, for Israel, a priest of Israel, right? And uh, so he got judged by God. But what happened to him? Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. So when you see people falling backwards in the scripture, not a good thing. If you want to get down to that, right? But let me ask some questions about this slain spirit. Because again, the, the premise is you and I are missing out. And oh, you poor, poor critters. If only you could experience this. But let's ask yourself the question. Does being slain supposedly in the spirit make one closer to God? I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Uh, does, does it make you more spiritual? You know, what's the goal in life? Is the goal in life to get saved, and then from then on, every day, seek and experience and have goosebumps on top of goosebumps? Is that why Christ saved you? Or is it back to the fruit of the Spirit, so that you'd act, behave, speak, look more like Jesus Christ as you proclaim Jesus Christ to the lost? I think it's it's that one, right? Uh, Why does somebody have to catch you? I mean, if this really is a thing of God, of the Spirit, then if He can... Do that to you. Can't he cushion your head? Why do you have to have a catcher? Right? And why would God want you to pass out? You know what I saved you? I, I, I just went through all this sacrifice. I gave my son for you. And he went and endured the cross for the joy set before him, as the scripture says. And that joy set before him was hopefully, now you're going to have to wait. It's going to take about 1,950 years for people to show up on the scene after the birth of the church, but that then you could finally, if you're of that generation, that you could go to a conference where somebody could lay hands on you or swing their jacket at you, and you could pass out. That's why I came. Really? I don't think so. Why does he want you to pass? Hey, why would this be the way to have an experience with the Holy Spirit when you already have the Holy Spirit as a Christian? As we're going to see, the goal of the Christian life isn't getting more of the Spirit. You already have the Spirit. The issue is yielding to the Spirit and Him getting more control of you internally. And then it begins to show externally. Complete polar opposite. Okay? And why is none of this mentioned in the Bible? Except in the cases, if you want to get down to it, people going backwards as a sign of judgment. It's because it's unbiblical, right? Now, in, as we saw clearly in this opening video, the unbiblical practice of being slain in the Spirit requires a person to respond to another's touch or motion of the speaker's arm, or in this case, now it's even a jacket. But as you saw there, was it really just, you know, I just pointed my hand towards Bobby and then he fell over? No, what, what was good? Hey, sorry, dude. Did that really happen? No, praise God. No. <laughs> I wish I had a camera going this way. But anyway, but uh, uh, no, right? What, what did Benny Hinn do? Did you see that? That's why I said, hey, Call it punching the spirit, right? Bruising the spirit. Smack them up them, side them, head them in the spirit. 
shove him like a freight train in the chest spirit. Did you see that? There was nothing supernatural going on with that. Okay? But that's what is required, right? One guy says the charismatic movement is not so much the faith movement, rather it's the signs movement. And here's what's sad. It teaches people to seek after a sign or rely on personal experience than getting into the written word of God. If you read the scripture, which I highly recommend, God wants us to be alert, conscious, aware, ready, and watchful. That is Luke 21, 36, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 1 Peter 5, 8, 2 Timothy 4, 5, Revelation 3, 2. What's that? I'll say it again. God wants us as Christians to be alert, conscious, aware, ready, and watchful. How is any of that going on when you're supposedly doing that? Whether it be for two seconds, two minutes, or two hours. How's that happening? Or wiggling around? How's that happening? None of it is. God never teaches in the scripture chaos, unconsciousness, confusion, mysticism, or the practices, we're getting to this in just a second, the practices of pagan spiritualism. He teaches us self-control, self-discipline, the renewing of the mind, growing in the knowledge of love, the necessity of faith, and the awareness of God's presence with us wherever we go in our waking moments. That's the benefit. Isn't that the awesome truth? We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, which means, first of all, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So He's always with you. But then we have an intimate relationship. We become His temple. Now, that's awesome. So if I want to uh, have a great day, and if I want to just hear some good news, just acknowledge that Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, God is with me intimately every second of the day. Even while I'm asleep, He's right there with me. Doesn't that benefit you more? then basically acting like the Holy Spirit is outside of you, and then you have to go to a conference, or you have to sing a bunch of songs, or you got to do all these different techniques, and then he falls on you like some external rain. Because that, that's what's going on. But he's already here. I always like to say, they say, shh. The Spirit of God is in this place. And I always like to say, and when did he ever leave? He's omnipresent. He's already with us. I didn't lose him. The challenge is I need to yield to him day and day, and that he gets more control of me. And that's what's sad. That's what's been. But many people claim, oh, no, you don't see, you don't understand. Here comes the you don't understand thing. Because it's based on experience, right? You don't understand, Jim. You weren't there. Don't judge me, right? And besides, I felt, I felt something. I felt this power. I felt this force, man. You can't tell me it wasn't God. And I, hey, and I said this many times before. I'm not saying that in some instances, I think the bulk of it is just a bunch of baloney. Chicanery, learned behavior, unfortunately. But I do think that there are times when people do feel a tangible, if you will, force or energy or spiritual encounter. But that doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God, Right? It's a counterfeit. Now, the big counterfeit, and we're going to see this eventually when we get into more of the aberrant teachings and the history of the charismatic movement. We're not even close to getting there yet. But you're going to see that a lot of the beginnings of the charismatic movement, okay, at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, that the movers and shakers that basically revitalized that movement, because, again, it's nothing new. It's old-fashioned Montanism. But they revitalized it here in America that the guys were involved, the pillars were involved in New Age, and they were involved in Hinduism. Okay? 
But then they begin to slap Christianese on New Age and Hinduism terms, right? And so this is where, again, they take a biblical phrase and they slap it on this practice and somehow it makes it okay. Because when you understand Hinduism, Hinduism being slain in the spirit, wriggling on the floor, even, even speaking gibberish, moments of ecstasy where you're passed out, Hindus do that all the time. Hindus do that with their guru, okay? Their guru, and the guru in Hinduism can transfer that spiritual experience, but it ain't the spirit of God, okay, in something that's called the Shakti Pot, okay? Let me explain what that is. The most feared and revered deity in Hinduism is the goddess Kali, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the goddess Kali. Remember in our study on Hinduism? You got that one memorized too, right? Holiness, 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 holiness. Don't lie. Right? What, 330 million gods Hinduism has? Remember that? Right? But this one, Kali. Kali's the one, if you've ever seen the pictures, just like this big old, get the tongue, the tongue sticking out. Yeah, I don't know if she gets many dates. Right? Not very good, but it's not a good thing. But anyway, so that's goddess Kali. Not, not very. Anyway, she is uh, the wife of Shiva, as Hinduism tells us. The destroyer. Now, she's also known as Shakti, okay? Shakti, which means force, and that's supposed to be the force that basically runs and governs the universe. Kind of like the Star Wars thing. As we saw in our Buddhism study, that's exactly what's going on with Star Wars with the chi and all that stuff, and they just ripped off Buddhism, Taoism, and that's where George Lucas got all that. Anyway, the divine power or touch of the guru is called the Shakti Pat. So the force is transferred by the touch. That's what Shakti Pop means, basically. All right? The term is used for the touch or near touch of a guru's hand. Now, notice Benny Hinn. He, he doesn't even... He, <laughs> yeah. But technically, in the Hindu gurus, they can even just come close. Right? But anyway, uh, but this happens when the guru's hand touches the worshiper's, quote, forehead. Exact same thing. And it produces supernatural effects. The supernatural effect of the shot key through the guru's touch may, quote, this is straight out of Hinduism, may knock the worshiper to the floor, or he may see a bright light and receive an experience or enlightenment or inner illumination or have some other mystical or psychic experience. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, a guru, placed a special emphasis on Zen Buddhism and listen to the term that's straight out of Hinduism. And he passes his new spiritual wine. Now, if you're familiar with the charismatic movement, that is a common phrase they use all the time. This is the new spiritual wine of the Spirit of God. Right? This is the new anointing. The wine of the Spirit of God is coming down upon us. We need the new wine, the Spirit. That's Hinduism. This is straight out of this guy. He passes his new spiritual wine with a single touch to the forehead of his followers. They would fall to the floor in ecstasy, quote, drunk with the new wine. Lord willing, in our next study, that's the next thing we're going to get into. They not only say it's slain in the spirit, they have a phrase called drunk in the spirit. This is straight out of Hinduism, folks. They're copying their terms. But see, since most people don't know Hinduism, they don't realize that they're being ripped off. Okay? Swami Baba Mctananda would slay, there's that word, slay, so even slain, that's a Hindu term, would slay followers in the spirit through the Shakti pot, and then hereupon they would experience holy laughter. We're going to get into that next time. Holy laughter, crying, shaking, animal manifestations. 
And these would occur regularly at his meetings. Folks, what you're seeing in all this, it's straight out of Hinduism. But they try to Christianize it. And then followers of uh, Yan Zin, that's a Chinese Kaigong master, encountered holy laughter and other strange physical sensations when they do the same thing. Now, just to hopefully put the nail in the coffin even more, I'm going to share with you a video clip. This is from Hinduism, and this is the promoter of Hinduism. And they're going to admit, here's what happens, and you'll see what happens. You look for the parallels of what's being promoted in the charismatic church today. But this is what happens when a person from experiences from the guru, the Shakti Pot. But let's take a look. What you're seeing in the video is the live recording of a program where you can see Shakti Pot happening on the aspirants. The program has been recorded without any editing. You might judge the happening according to your past beliefs and experiences, but we humbly request you to sit back and enjoy the video without any doubts. Please try to grasp the actual meaning of the video which has been explained as follows. Shaktipat is a self-proven and self-perfecting spiritual practice. This means that the kundalini power causes an initiation to perform kriyas or automatic movements through the power of kundalini itself. Therefore, its other name is supramental meditation. It can also be called as the self-proven path of meditation. It may be relevant to mention that in every aspect, in body, in mind and in intellect, Shakti itself performs the meditation. An initiation must not make any effort at all. One's duty is only to surrender. The time and characteristics of the manifestation of the Shakti are solely the work of the divine power. To practice this type of meditation means that one must simply allow the divine power the opportunity to perform the meditation by itself. Of course, Shakti path is different from other paths of meditation because on other paths you are responsible for performing certain tasks or mastering certain techniques. In other methods of meditation, you may be responsible for performing meditation by yourself or you may have to acquire a great deal of knowledge concerning spiritual matters. You may have to perform worship ceremonies, you may have to practice different asanas, yogic postures or you may have to constantly endeavor to eject undesirable thoughts out of your mind. However, in Shaktipat, you don't have to do all these things. You just have to sit with total sense of surrender. So you understand? So basically the guru, that one guy was grabbing onto the guru, didn't let go. I don't think Benny Hinn would appreciate that. Wrinkle up the trousers or something, I don't know. With all due respect, but anyway. Uh, but uh, the people that have an experience just... But notice what the Shakti Pot was. The Shakti Pot in Hinduism was basically, if you will, a shortcut. You don't have to spend hours in getting into an altered state of consciousness with meditation and then have an experience. You could basically have a shortcut with the guru, as you saw, touching that one guy's hand 
uh, his forehead, and what happened to the guy? He fell backwards, and he's having an experience. He's out. Straight out of Hinduism, folks, we're being sold a bill of goods, and somehow, because you and I aren't involved in this, we're being looked down upon. And yet, even the world knows this is a bunch of baloney. But again, I'm not saying some of these people who are doing this don't experience something. They may feel, if you will, a sensation. They may feel some sort of an energy. They may feel a tingling response. That doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God. Okay? And again, Shakti, okay, uh, with Shiva, these are Hindu deities. These are demons. This is demonic. Okay? You don't want to mess with it. One guy says, Charismatics say that when the Spirit comes upon you, it will overcome you and empower and slay you. Such people as Benny Hinn, Rod Parsley, and a host of others have developed a trademark with this behavior at their meetings. Right? But what do we find? We do not see any of this practice even hinted in the Scripture. When the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, he came up out of the water. He didn't collapse and sink back down, did he? The Lord Jesus had power to heal even the worst cases of diseases, blindness, and crippled limbs. Yet no one who Jesus ever touched fell over slain. Are these people better than Jesus? Nor do we find Peter or John touching people and causing them to fall over. They, they didn't ask the disciples to stand behind those who were there were getting ready to lay hands on to catch them in case they fell over backwards either. The New Testament has no people lining up waiting for the anointing to be passed on from one another, not even the apostles. Can you imagine any of the apostles running up to people and slapping them on the forehead or lining people up to be slain? They didn't have no soft music or repetitive choruses. There was no to sing into an atmosphere before the anointing would, quote, fall. No one yelled repetitive phrases like, fire, fire, touch, or more, Lord, more. Where did all this come from? It comes from martial arts, chi power, guru, Hinduism, and the occult. That's where it comes from. But since most people don't even have a clue of any of that stuff, that's why we went through it to get us equipped. You're going, wow, what a, what a ripoff. Right? That's where it's coming from. It's the occult, right? Those practices can knock somebody over, as we just saw it with our own eyes. Right? But that's not the spirit of God. These similarities cannot be overlooked, okay? uh, as he says there. He says, it's evident that the loud outcries and convulsions are inconsistent with the things of the Bible, and therefore these practices ought to be discouraged. They cannot be from God, and he is not the author of confusion. The fruit of the Spirit, you want to be in the Spirit, that will produce self-control, not out of control. To be filled means to yield to the Lord and give Him control of these lives. He Listen, He wants us active doing His work, not knocked out, numb, or dumb. How much witnessing is going on when that's happening? Right? How much reading of the Word of God so you can renew your mind and grow up and become a disciple of Christ? Zero. Right? We need to consider then the possibility this behavior is unspeakably dangerous for the participants because it is the operation of demonic powers. Many who have studied the occult phenomenon in false religions find that slain in the spirit is not a new phenomenon. Again, this power is found in Hinduism. And therefore, truly the ancient words of the prophet Hosea ring true for today. Quote, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. If you stick with the Scripture, i.e. God's knowledge, which we're supposed to, you're never going to condone that because you can't find it, right? But because people, and this again is another sad trend of the charismatic community, 
They downplay the Word of God, and it's all about experience. And we just looked at one of them tonight. But when you get away from this, guess what people can do? They can bring in all kinds of stuff, slap Christianese on it, and people swallow it up. And that's exactly, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Get back to the Bible, right? Now, we're going to close. I'm going to share with you a video. You guys familiar with the Toronto blessing, so-called, the Toronto movement, right? And again, Lord willing, we'll get into that in, once we get to the history part, right? But basically, with the, it's, we're basically the slain of the Spirit first was really popularized, as well as animal noises and all kinds of other stuff. What I'm going to share with you is a guy who was right there in the inner circle, and he initially was a part of it, but he's come out now and says, this is not from God, and not only is it not from God, it's dangerous, and pastors, Christians, you better take this serious. This is not good. But let's take a look. This is the man who claims to have the answers to all the mysterious fallings. Paul Goldie guarantees that he knows how and why these things happen. He was there when the doctrine originated in 1994 in the airport church in Toronto. He met one by one each of the preachers who disseminated this practice. What secrets will he reveal? What did he witness that so bothered him? And why did he decide to abandon that practice? He makes it very clear that from the beginning of the conversation he does not believe in being slain in the spirit. I would say that this is something a lot darker. Paul tells in detail the beginning of this movement. He was one of the leaders of the airport church where being slain in the spirit became famous. John Arnold, his wife Carol, Randy Clark, and Paul himself, all of them participated in the creation of this movement. Over the next two years, Around two million people from all over the world visited the Toronto Airport Church to receive this spirit and these manifestations and this blessing. Paul Goldie commanded these rituals and being slain in the spirit. He was one of the main names of the church. But what took this man to abandon all that he believed in? It was during a meeting that Paul discovered and recognized that there was something wrong. He said that people would imitate dogs and other animals during the services. They would behave themselves as drunken men and women. And the stage I'm at at the moment is slouching. Today I believe that spirit is a false spirit, a counterfeit spirit and not the Holy Spirit of Scripture. Paul says that he was in spirit of prayer when he was convicted that what he was doing was wrong. Instantly my heart was convicted and instantly I asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me for being so silly, for being ridiculous. It was in that same moment that he decided to disconnect from the church and to write this letter 
that affirms that Satan uses this to blind people. And he finishes saying that this violates Holy Scripture. I would say that this was never a true, genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit because the fruit of that church is rotten. Toronto blessing has been negative. He doesn't understand why it took him so long for him to open his eyes and see how this was so offensive to the Holy Spirit. When Paul fell sick, he went deep into the study of the Word of God. And the more he read, the more he found out that what he was doing was a lie. The Holy Spirit, by his very name, is holy. He will not encourage people to do anything unholy. People, mankind, are made in the image of God. Why would God debase humanity by making them get on like animals? If there is anything that is manifest in these meetings contrary to the Holy Scripture, then it is not of God, because God does not change. Paul, the very man who spread the doctrine of being slain in the Spirit throughout the world, gives us a warning. Pastors, do not embrace this. Do not think that this is a light thing. This is not of God, that it is a scheme of the devil, and that it will bring utter destruction to the men and the women and the children who embrace it. Why? Because it comes straight out of the occult. It comes out of Hinduism. It doesn't come from the Bible. And it leads to destruction because it leads you away from the Bible. And you certainly can't know this in the Bible. If you're going to grow up, and if the Holy Spirit is going to produce holiness in you, then you need to learn how to truly be in the Spirit as you walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and keep in step in the Spirit, and the way you know that's happening isn't because you're wriggling or passing out. It's when you love more, joy, peace, patience. You start to act more like Jesus. What a concept, right? That's what people need to get back to. And by the way, again, the whole thing is just, if anything, bare minimum, a seduction to get people away from growing up in Christ because you're not going to grow spiritually that way, Okay? Now, that's just the first aberrant behavior. Again, as I gave you a little teaser, Lord willing, next time we're going to deal with the next one. Again, they use this phrase, in the Spirit, and somehow that makes it okay. Okay, and that is, we saw a little bit of it tonight, what they call drunk in the Spirit. They can't even stand up. They can't even, they're slurring just like they're drunk. Holy laughter. They just can't stop laughing. Is that from God? Don't think so. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, 
The person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.